You're pretty sure of yourself, ain't you, Virgil? Virgil, that's a funny name for a big boy that comes from Philadelphia. What do they call you up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Mr. Tibbs! Well, Mr. Wood, take Mr. Tibbs, take him down to the depot, and I mean boy like now. Have the FBI lab send you the report on this. Not that it'll make any difference. I'll take that. Take off and go someplace. I'm sick and tired of this town. You're the only friend I got here. You mean go and stay gone? So JC, no, I don't know. Hey, we go to Mexico. Be back sometime Monday. You reckon to pick up and make it? Yeah, mind how much money you got? Oh, 30 bucks, about. Well, I got 40. We can make her on that. Come on! Okay. Hey, where are you going? Mexico. Where? And all that. Marijuana is not a drug. I used to suck dick for coke. I seen them. Now that's an addiction, man. You ever suck some dick for marijuana? Huh? No. No, I can't say I have. I didn't think so. Chris Kelsey here with Matt Owl on this episode of the first stir on Matt. It's it's a week of black and white films. In fact, in honor of these films this week, we recorded this whole episode in black and white and and in mono. This may be the episode I think that breaks Matt because first up, it's Joel Cohen's adaptation of the classic The Tragedy of Macbeth. Denzel Washington plays the titular Macbeth. Can its streamlined production save it from Matt's wrath of his just utter disdain? for big screen adaptations of plays. Then it's on to Mike Mills's Come On, Come On, a slice of life film featuring Joaquin Phoenix in a thoughtful, sensitive role that perhaps further cements his legacy of one of our greatest living actors. There's the essential listening that is the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then we're going to close out the big show as Matt and I share our five favorite passion projects featuring Travolta, Bruno, Spielberg, and more. Let's start everything off, though, with a clip from The Tragedy of Macbeth. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. My husband. King that shall be. If we should fail. We fail. Didst thou not hear noise? Methought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. Are you a man? Ah, and a 
bold one that dare look upon that which might appall the devil. Matt, right before we started recording, and I think in in punishment for my own hubris, I spilled water all over my desk. And <laughs> for not updating the report card in probably months on the website, all of the pages have bled together, and now I cannot read any of the grades. <laughs> Well, so, it's time for a fresh start then, guys. I mean, if you really want to know what, you, what we think about a film, you're just going to have to listen to it. I can go back to Last Night in Soho is the last episode with uh, Antlers is the last one I can read. So, hubris, Matt. You know, you flew too close to the sun. I did. All right, Matt, why don't you tell the fine folks uh, listening to this lovely, lovely adored program, what is The Tragedy of Macbeth all about? I would hope that everybody knows what the tragedy of Macbeth is about. I hope you've been to an English class in high school at one point in your life. But in case you haven't, um, Macbeth is the story of a thane of Scotland who, through political ambition and the scheming of himself and his wife, kill uh, the king of Scotland and usurp his place. And he slowly goes mad um, with the trappings of power, becomes paranoid, and is just racked with guilt by what he has done. Indeed. So, Matt, let me tell you, The Treasure of Macbeth, gripping alternate experience on the cinema, on the big screen, or mm. amateurish art project, passion <laughs> project, perhaps, if I may, gone horribly wrong. Yeah. So, I will say this. Um, I'm a fan of Shakespeare. I studied um lit in college and macbeth is my favorite shakespeare play um i appreciated this i don't think it's my favorite adaption of any of shakespeare's works so i think Mm -hmm. it's got some interesting artistic decisions in it and i think um if you're familiar with the source material that won't put you off too much but the problem with uh, Shakespeare is the language in and of itself. It uses archaic language. It uses a way to speak that is poetic, but it's hard to understand for modern audiences to really grasp what's going on. Yeah. And when you watch these things, it's helpful to kind of see what's going on. Whereas this, it's all very... The visuals are abstract, and it's all very talky. Um, you don't really see what's going on. You have to really hang on to what they're saying in order to figure out exactly what's happening. And I think that can be tough for some people. I think it was an interesting choice. I don't know if it's what I would have hoped to get out of this. I appreciated it, but I think it might have been the wrong choice. Interesting. So I tell you, I thank God while watching this thing that I am familiar with this story as well as I am. <laughs> Because I had avoid trailers for this. I try and avoid trailers in general. And I walked into this thing and I'm like, oh, wait, they're going to speak that old Shakespearean language. Oh, oh no. Oh, God, no. And the first like 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to understand what anybody's saying. Because as I get older, I get noticeably, I mean, really remarkably dumber. And I'm not able to comprehend things as well as my young spongy brain used to be able to. I think I need to learn a language, learn to play guitar. I need to do something that to keep sure. this uh, my brain synapses tan- tang- tangible, tangy, Ta- whatever. Sure. See, yeah, <laughs> I'm having a breakdown right now. You know what? You need to go play some Sudoku after this. You know, I've been playing that Wordle. That's all the rage on the Twitters oh, right now, and how that's is a lot that? of fun. 
Is it fun? fun? I've never... I'll check it out. Yeah, I've rather enjoyed it. Anyway, so I was freaked out (laughs) in the first, like, 10 minutes of this movie. But I will say I was just enamored with this thing. I loved the kind of the classic German expressionist kind of minimalist set design, right? Mm -hmm. So Cohen's really going for something here. Not only has he streamlined this thing, right? We're... We are a taut, Matt, what, uh, 105 minutes on this thing, right? So this is not some big expansive thing. Cohen really slims this baby down to focus on our stars, particularly Denzel, particularly Francis McDormand. And I would say, too, Catherine Hunter, uh, Mm -hmm. who plays the Three Witches, but... She, he really wants to focus, though, on Denzel and McDormand with this film, I think. And I think smartly, because I think they deliver some fascinating, fascinating, riveting performance in this thing. Denzel, I think, is just perfect. I like the fact that they're older, right? They're both in their 60s. I think Denzel just turned 67 last year. Really? Wow. So, yeah. So, I like that world-weary, broken down. He's the... He's the warrior, but he's clearly at the end of his kind of, you know, his career. And the I, I just loved the look of it because it almost feels directly lifted from a stage play. And I can tell you, I agree with you. I think it's going to be difficult if you're a casual moviegoer. I don't think this is really going to work for you. First off, it's 1.37 by one aspect ratio. It's in black and white. It's the Shakespearean language. And again, there's not some grand scapes. There's no grand landscapes. There's nothing, you know, it's very minimalistic. It's very mm-hmm. minimal. So it's going to, it could be a tough sit for some people. But I love everything means something, though, right? The replica, the, he replicates images throughout the film, like the trees represent now become the castles with the way the boards or the pillars would are. I mean, everything kind of mirrors something else as the film progresses and this use of hard shapes and angles and light and shadow they have multiple um multiple matte paintings right so they kind of how do i describe it this is like you know there's just three levels of matte paintings to add depth depth but it's still it's it's just gorgeous it's an artsy film geek like me's dream come true watching something like this i was Really just, I loved every minute of it, even as I was trying to figure out what was happening, what people were saying half the time. Like I said, thankfully, I'm familiar with the story. Mm -hmm. And Cohen's stripping down of a lot of the material kind of helps that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, Matt. What do you think about some of that stuff I've said so far? Yeah, it's interesting that you call it a German expressionist film. It's something very akin to that. And I thought it was gorgeous. I loved watching this, but... I think, um, and, I, and I'm a big fan of the Coens, although this is just one of them at this point. I, again, I, I I feel like it's not, I, I appreciated it. I, I enjoyed it. I would, dare I say it, in my completest nature, I wouldn't get it to include in my collection of Coen films. But again, I don't think it's going to have a wide appeal. I do appreciate that, um... Denzel and and Francis McDormand did not try and fake an English accent or a Scottish accent, even worse, right. um, you know. But I mean, there's all of these kind of British actors around them. Um, so, but somehow the the juxtaposition works. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, 
to get really the full experience of this film. I mean, you can sit there and look at it and let it kind of wash over you, but it's going to take some active viewing to kind of really appreciate this because you have got to hang on to every word. So even if you are familiar with the story to kind of pick up the cues on where they are in that story, because a lot of the kind of most famous stuff like the forest moving and things like that, it's barely hinted at in this. Um, the dagger soliloquy where he's supposed to be seeing this floating dagger it's not there. I mean, the, the soliloquy is there, but the dagger is not there. Um, it's just kind of like a close up on his face. So yeah, I think, I think obviously it's a, a very interesting take. I can appreciate it. I don't think it has a wide appeal, but I think if you're of a certain bent, it's something that's worth checking out. Yeah. I, mm. so I want to talk about one thing too, that I thought was really interesting. And I really appreciated Francis McDormand's turn as Lady Macbeth. I think she, adds some depth and nuance to her character I think has been, I think for too long maybe considered just the evil driving force Mm -hmm. behind all of this, right? That it's her thirst for power that influences her husband to commit these acts. And I think in this film, like I think it's more, she's a man who kind of deeply loves her husband, knows Mm -hmm. whom for who he is and supports him. And their decision, I think, as a family, as a unit, and uh, to move forward with this plan after what the witch says to him that basically, you know, you're going to be king. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a decision that eventually drives her mad. But it's not, you didn't get the scheming potential, what is one of the theories that she's the fourth witch type mm-hmm. thing, right? I didn't get that impression from her. I think it's a much more nuanced representation of a character who I think has been maybe unfairly maligned in almost every other single adaptation of this play that I'm familiar with. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if Lady Macbeth is unfairly maligned. I think it's just really that it's taking a different way of interpreting the character, which is completely valid. I mean, taking her as a scheming kind of thing. I mean, you got to remember, this thing was written 420 plus years ago. So, like, I mean, it's not going to be the most progressive thing i mean you know it is what it is um but i think you're right i think it's it's completely okay to take these these you know this material that's been told time and time and time again that to find you know additional nuance to it and i'm i commend the the film for for doing that you're right i don't view her as a scheming villain maybe the way it's played is denzel is almost like he's asking for permission to do this thing that he wants to do. And she's like, yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Let's do it kind of thing. And yeah. and that's a different way of approaching it. And I think it works here. I'm not a Shakespeare scholar, so I don't know how somebody who really studies this stuff would really feel about that. But yeah, I think it's a good choice. Yeah, I think she knows that he may not, that maybe he, he wants to do this or he's a little undecided. But so mm-hmm. she steals him in order to move forward for that. Which brings me to Denzel, who I think provides a torn, troubled, and betrayed presence to this role. He's a man that torn apart by his ambition, his pride, and he makes a fatal choice that you almost feel he gets swept up in, right? Mm-hmm. It's more like things, he commits the act, but you almost feel like, it's like a tidal wave that's carrying him to it, that he is slightly out of control. And as the film progresses, it becomes, you know, that's that proverbial snowball, right? I mean, it just keeps things getting worse and worse. And he's kind of caught up in this wave. He has moments where he just figures, Christ, what have I done 
type mm-hmm. of a thing, right? But still, he is still slightly enamored with the uh, the ability to then become king, but you can see he's tortured by it the entire way. And I think there's just a, a subtleness and a calmness to his performance that is then compared with these moments of sheer and kind of stark, you know, dread and terror and confusion and it's i don't it's just such a layered performance i think it's one of the best things i've seen him do uh in quite a while yeah i mean this is definitely not uh king kong got nothing on me territory (laughs) that would be interesting to see actually if we could transport that character (laughs) anton fuqua's Macbeth. so definitely a film i would not watch Catherine hunter then finally in regards to the performances i want to land on she plays the three witches her ability to contort her body her voice it's just some spine chilling stuff matt and every you know i almost wanted her to come back up on the screen every time she was there just so i could feel that uneasiness that's kind of feeling you have when you're watching a horror film it's just so effective that one scene particularly when she's on the the beach oh mm-hmm creepy creepy stuff so i don't know matt it's an art geek's dream i really found this thing riveting i think it has a limited audience surely but i found it absolutely captivating as uh daniel craig says it compels me compels (laughs) me it makes no damn sense compels me though so I guess the only question is, is I where do you land? Come down on this. I'm sitting on I'm sitting on A for Macbeth. Really? I love the experimentation. I love the set designs. It's a gorgeous film. I cannot wait. I I really I'm nervous it may not happen, but I really want to see this in my 4K TV. I mm. think it's going to look absolutely even more beautiful than it did in the screening I saw it at. Right. Uh, I just love some of the imagery from that film is still in my mind. So I'm I'm giving it an A. I, I loved it. What about you? I'm gonna give it a B plus. I don't think it's the best, you know, one of the best Shakespeare adaptions I've ever seen. I appreciated it, but I, I don't think I could generally recommend this, to, you know, broadly. That's probably fair. Like I agree, it it doesn't have a mass appeal, very likely. And I still I have to say I bought the. Have you seen the 2015 version with Fassbender and Cotillard? Uh, I haven't. No, I have not. Yeah, I blind bought it on a Black Friday sale for $3 about five years ago. How was it? And I couldn't tell you. I haven't watched, I haven't it. watched it yet, huh? <laughs> <You know? laughs> at some point, I'm sure. I'm sure. At some point. So, uh, The Tragic Macbeth is currently limited in theaters and will be hitting, actually, Apple Plus TV uh, this Friday when this show drops. You can watch it if you're an Apple subscriber. Maybe that's what I'll do. I can rewatch it then. So yeah, wow, that's nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out again. There you go. All right, good times, folks. If you had a chance to see the tragedy of Macbeth, shoot us an email at feedback at the first to run dot com. Coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, January eighteenth, is another film I've been thinking about, and I may have softened on a bit, and I think I need to watch it again, Matt. I wonder if you would have the same experience. Miss Collins? Yes. It's Ellie. We spoke on the phone. Oh yes. Room is on the top floor. Have a few rules. Don't take smokers. I don't smoke. No male visitors after eight o'clock. What's a problem. And no using the laundry room at night. 
It rattles right through to mine. I don't do laundry. I. I mean, I don't do nighttime laundry. I do do laundry. I'm very clean. Good. It's a bit old-fashioned for some, but I won't do nothing to it. If you don't like it, you can find somewhere else. It's perfect. I love it. That's Thompson McKenzie and Diana Rigg and Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho coming up this Tuesday, January 18th. Yeah, man, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I need to watch it again. I'm wondering if I was a little more, a little harsher on it than I should have been. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I think it's worth a revisit. I think really what'll be interesting is knowing how you see it end up is really where... Right expects your sympathies to fall, and I think that's I think that's one of the weird things we had about this film. That's fair. A bunch of making of featurettes, some deleted scenes, some animatics, uh, two feature commentaries, and more. Another film that I loved, Matt, that I can pretty much guarantee you is likely going to be on my top ten list. Like how I say pretty much guarantee, and then throw in the word likely, uh, <laughs> is Julia Darkenau's Titan which is being released on physical media. Finally, the uh, French horror film follow-up from her Great Raw, which mm-hmm. I think might be on Netflix or at least Shudder at the moment. If you haven't seen, I would highly recommend it. Go ahead and watch, what is that? Um, that movie's watched anywhere app thing, whatever it's called. Just watch it. Yeah, what is it called? just watch. Yeah, you can track it down and check out Raw, which is great. I loved Tom, and I cannot wait to uh, pick this one up. Also, yeah. I remember you raving about it, but I haven't seen it yet. So it's been on my list of things to catch up, but I kind of forgot about it. There you go. Well, jot it down, my friend. And then also coming up is the animated sequel, Adam's Family 2. Includes a couple making up featurettes on that one. Then the TV uh, version of Annie Live featuring Harry Connick Jr., Nicole Scherzinger, Titus Burgess, and more is being released. The Eric Bana thriller the dry this is an australian production is being released i hear this is pretty solid uh, i'd like to check that one out he is a federal agent who returns to his hometown after an absence of over 20 years to attend the funeral of his childhood friend who allegedly killed his wife and child before taking his own life uh, it's supposed to be kind of a drama um, crime thriller sam worthington there's a callback for you <laughs> thomas jane heather graham machine gun kelly and bates wild are all starring the last son about an outlaw who attempts to end his family's evil lineage. Wilgo USA is releasing Escape from Mogadishu. Based on a choice story, it's a civil war rages in Mogadishu. Rival North and South Korean diplomats are left trapped. With no way from either government, their only shot at survival, Matt, may require uniting with bitter adversaries to escape. Film Movement is releasing both Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy in a set. Includes an interview with the director, Rasuki Hamaguchi, and a bonus short film, The Chicken. I've heard it's actually supposed to be very, very good. It's an unexpected love triangle, a failed seduction trap, and an encounter that results from a misunderstanding are the three episodes told in three different movements to depict three female characters and trace their trajectories between their choices and regrets. I'm sorry, did I say it was a set? I think Wheel of Fortune Fantasy is just one film. I apologize. My notes are a little off. Got to fire another intern. Kino Lorber is releasing The Games Called Murder. The movie follows the daughter of an iconic woman's luxury footwear designer, Mr. Wellendorf, who sabotages her sadistic father's business in a dark tale of murder, greed, and betrayal based in a consumer-crazy society. Why did I have this on here? Well, because it features our buddy Ron Perlman. Also, Natasha Henstridge are in this film. Troma 
is releasing VHS Massacre 2, a documentary about the last stand of the American exploitation film, featuring interviews with Joe Bob Briggs and more. Redstone, a dangerous hitman, is tasked with hunting down a teenager who witnessed the murder of his older brother at the hands of a ruthless southern crime lord. Don't let her in. I thought maybe, Matt, this might be like a pseudo-sequel to Don't Let the Right One In or Don't Let That Person In, the vampire <laughs> thingy you, you like so much. Right. When, but no. When an attractive young couple rents out a room in their spacious loft to an eccentric, beautiful female artist, they soon live to regret it. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing A Hard Day's Night in 4K. I've never seen it, Matt. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big Beatles fan. I'm just not. I'm more no. a Stones guy. What about you? Really? Yeah, I like. I think I prefer the Beatles to the Stones, but um, yeah, I'm surprised. I, I feel like even if you don't love the Beatles, I mean, I don't love the Beatles. I mean, their kind of output, you know, from like Rubber Soul to Abbey Road is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I just never, I've listened to them, but I don't. I have no passion or no juice for the the, the Beatles at all. There's no juice reason. for the Beatles, huh? No, I listen to them once in a while while I'm working. I'll pop on. I think yeah. I listened to just Abbey Road about three weeks ago. Okay. And I, I do enjoy Revolver. I do yeah. enjoy that album, but I just, I don't know what it is. I never have a big urge typically yeah. to listen to the Beatles. No, I'd rather listen to the who never knows what deluxe or remastered edition of whatever David Bowie album I've heard a dozen times previously. <laughs> right. Right. So I guess when do when do you think that the Beatles stopped being considered the best band ever? Oh, Are we I don't there know. yet? Are we getting close? It's got to it's got to turn at some point, I would think. You think so? Well, someone has to usurp them, right? Would it just be a historical rethinking of it, or do you think like a new band would come in, like like Oasis? Right? They're supposed to be better than the Beatles. Well, I think it's more like a historical Isn't that what they said? vision of of what how people feel about them kind of thing. As people as they become older and older and more and more like grandpa music, like do the, does the younger generation still care as much kind of thing? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Do you think it'll be once Paul and Ringo are gone too? Would that accelerate that? Uh... Maybe, maybe. I can't say that I've listened to really any of Paul and Ringo's music outside of the, the Beatles. I don't. Yeah, I think I have Paul's greatest hits, and I have yeah. John Lennon's greatest hits. Yeah, and then a couple just stray songs from um, Harrison, and of course, yeah. Traveling Wilbury stuff, which I adore. That's true. But uh, I don't own a single solo Ringo project in any capacity at any time. Well, I guess they'll be best be known for their cameo in the biopic um, of Dewey Cox, where they really showed really what they were all about. That's true. Uh, Criterion is also releasing Time. Fox Rich fights for the release of her husband, Rob, who is serving a 60-year sentence in prison. A 4K digital remaster of that one, new audio commentaries, new interviews, and more. Shout Factory is releasing the 25th, Matt, I'm going to make you feel old now, the 25th anniversary of Jim Carrey's Liar Liar. Wow, that's crazy. You know, I, I... I heard a stat that like you remember when we when the Wonder Years came out in the eighties and like yes. how it seemed so long this. ago like if it was made today it'd be like two thousand and I just that blew my mind. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, two new featurettes in the making of the film and some um, archival features included uh, the director commentary outtakes deleted scenes. Vestron is releasing Candyman Three Day of the Dead. I've never seen it, but I understand it is the worst. Candyman film, uh, particularly the worst of the sequels. That's that's it's it is, and that's saying a lot. 
There you are. Arrow is releasing Shock, also known as Beyond the Door 2. There's a brand new 2K restoration of this. This is kind of the Italian take on The Exorcist. Well, this is a sequel to that. I bought the uh, original Beyond the Door from uh, our good buddies over at Diabolic DVD. And I actually, it's one of the things where I peer pressured myself into buying it because it went out of print. And gotcha. he still had copies. And I'm like, well, I saw this once. I reasonably enjoyed it. It's now out of print, this edition. It's going to go for a lot of money. Do I want to get it? Yeah, let's just get it. And then I got it. I rewatched it. And I'm like, I, di- I didn't need to do that. I did not need to do that. <laughs> but then you won't feel, but if it does jump in price, you won't feel bad about getting rid of it, you know? Yeah, I guess. That's a good idea. Uh, includes what we got here. Restored original lossless mono, Italian and English soundtracks, the original Italian and English front and end titles with insert shots, a new audio commentary, new interviews, uh, and more. Arrow is also releasing Red Angel. Set against the Sino-Japanese War in 1939, a young angelic military nurse is assaulted by her patients and sent to the front line for daring to register a complaint. Includes uh, what I've got: brand new audio commentaries, a newly filmed introduction, and more. Warner Archive is releasing *Song of the Thin Man*. Nick and Nora investigate the murder of a band leader in New York. A brand new 4K restoration of that. We should maybe do a marathon of those. I've never seen them, and they're all supposed to be fantastic. The Thin, the Thin Man, Man films. Movies? Okay. Yeah. Have you ever seen any of them? I've never seen any of the Thin Man films. That might be kind of fun. Uh, the Hitchcock film. This is old school Hitchcock, pre-U.S. Stage Fright is being released. The brand new 4K restoration of the original Nitrate Camera Negative. Edge of Darkness featuring Errol Flynn is being released. After two years under German rule, a small Norwegian fishing village rises up and revolts against the occupying Nazis. That's weird. You'd think Errol Flynn wouldn't be too upset about that. Uh, Kino's also releasing Three Women by Ernst Lubitsch. A brand new 4K restoration of that one with a new audio commentary. Inherit the Wind. This is the TV movie from 1999 about mm. the Scopes Monkey Trial featuring Jack Lemmon and George C. Scott. Features a brand new audio commentary. Blue Underground is releasing a standard edition of The Stendhal Syndrome. This is the Dario Argento film featuring uh, Asia Argento. Really, the only difference is that there's no soundtrack including mm. with this one. UHD. Ooh, Matt, I wonder if you're going to get this. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man film trilogy is being released in 4K. Are you going to upgrade those? Oh, geez. I don't know. I've got them all on Blu-ray. I really don't know. It would have to be a pretty cheap price. Yeah, I don't think I will. In fact, I haven't watched them. I bought them on Blu-ray when they came out yeah. 10 years ago, 15 yeah. years ago, and I've never watched them. I... I plan on sitting down and kind of watching all the spider-man movies i picked up the amazing spider-man 2 the garfield film on 4k for like seven dollars off of amazon so like i've got them oh, all nice. now so i'm gonna sit down and watch it nice yeah that's the one i don't own in any capacity it is amazing so uh oh, you don't own the first one either i do i have the first oh, okay. one i think i bought it okay. digitally for like five bucks back in the day just to have gotcha. it. uh I did get my Unbreakable 4K yesterday, though. $13.99 on Amazon, which uh, since I didn't own it outside of DVD, I felt okay uh, upgrading to that one for the the UHD. Yeah, I would I would upgrade from like DVD to 4K, but it's a it's a big ass to upgrade from Blu-ray to 4K. Like it's got to be something special. Yeah, I've been sitting on the fence on picking up uh, No Time to Die. I haven't bought it yet because a it's still thirty dollars. 
You're gonna get I want, it when it drops down. Well, here's the, yeah. I mean, well, I want him to wait for the inevitable special edition because it doesn't have the Vukanago commentary, and he said he recorded a commentary for the film. So, but then part of me also want that Daniel Craig documentary that's mm-hmm. only available as part of that set. I think that may be limited to that disc. And MGM is real weird about their digital copies. So, like, if you buy the 4K Craig UHD set, there is no iTunes digital copy. It's just really? the Lionsgate Voodoo. It's just a Voodoo one. And I don't use okay. Voodoo. So, this No Time to Die does have an iTunes specific file. Gotcha. So I may get it just because the Craig thing, and I want to make sure I get that digital copy. Yeah. So I don't know. And I do have $15 in Best Buy Rewards, so I may just apply it to that and just pull the trigger. Requiem for a Dream, Matt. Best Buy Steelbook. I know one of your family favorites is getting released there. (laughs) And then finally, Blue Underground is releasing the Toolbox Murders in 4K. This is one of those films, Matt, that had a notorious reputation, banned a lot of places, really scary, gory stuff. And if you watch it now, it's it's really tame and not that exciting, folks. I don't. Right. Sorry, Blue Underground, but I don't know if you need to upgrade to this UHD for the Toolbox Murders. It does not match the reputation that it has. There are brand new features on this, lots of interviews, a video essay, a new Dolby Atmos soundtrack, Dolby Vision HDR presentation, a 16-bit 4K restoration of the uncut original camera negative. So you're a fan. Clearly, this looks like the thing, the way to go, but I don't know. And then finally, your straight-to-DVD peak of the week, Matt, is going to be Bloodhook from Troma. Haven't had a, tr- a lot of Troma films in the straight-to-DVD. you think we would, but mm. they don't show up that much anymore. During a local fishing contest... People are being mysteriously dragged into the lake and killed by a giant fish hook. After a sufficient number of deaths, the killer is finally revealed. <laughs> I admire the efficiency of that statement. <laughs> so what should we be streaming this week? I wonder what a sufficient number of deaths is. What's the, <laughs> what's the cutoff? They have to worry about that. Um, all right. So I'm going to recommend a, a TV show. Um, are you familiar with Alex Hirsch at all? No, the name sounds familiar, but I'd have to say no. Okay, so he he created one of my favorite kind of uh, shows um, to watch with my daughter is uh, Gravity Falls, which if you haven't seen it, it's a really good kids show, which you can watch with your kids, but there's a lot of depth there and it's a lot of weirdness and I really like it. Um, He's a co-executive producer on a new show on Netflix called Inside Job, where it's uh, essentially following the... um, the daily lives of the company that runs the deep state and all of the whacked out conspiracy theories, they're all true. Um, and it's, it's proving to be a lot of fun. You know, the last episode I just watched was about hollow earth. And the one about that was about the lizard people who run the world. So it's a fun time. Weird. And what is this again? It's called uh, inside job on Netflix. It is on Netflix. Good. I'll add it to you all the shows that I have all this time to watch. <laughs> I know with better, better call Saul wrapping up soon, you know, new season about to premiere. Yeah. I don't think you'll be watching any of these shows that I've recommended so far. Oh no. Once better, you know, a better call Saul is like the only show I watch twice Live. before I Live. delete the episode. I'm not, okay. And Hey, you know what else to do? It's always sunny. I do that okay. too. Cause I all love right. that show. And I got to say the season just wrapped on. It's always sunny. I think one of the stronger seasons in a while. I actually okay. really thought this season was good. Though I hated the fact that they doubled down every night. So they only did 10 episodes. And they did two per night. So five weeks and we're done. Right. Interesting. And I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you can just go back and watch the 10 other seasons that are on Hulu if you need a little warm hug from your friends. Did you know they pulled 
the Lethal Weapon episodes digitally. So if you were to no. buy the season on Netflix, they are not included because of really? the blackface that they do for okay. Danny Clover's character. Okay. And they actually address that in this season's episode, the season's one, and I, which I think was very clever. Uh, but I was really kind of upset by that. You know, you can't, yeah. you'd have to buy the DVDs now in order to see those episodes. And they're not streaming well, on, on Hulu, and you can't buy them. Well, if the same thing happened to Community with the Dungeons and Dragons episode, which is one which, of my favorite episodes of TV of all time. Yeah. Um, and they pulled that because he dressed, because Chang dressed up like a dark elf. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Did it ever come back? Did they ever put that back out there? No, not that gone? I'm aware of. I bought the, uh, there was a, f- a Blu-ray set of community. I had all the DVD seasons yeah. except for season four, the gas leak okay. season. Uh, but they had a sale on Amazon, I think for community, the Blu-ray, the complete series. And it was like 30 bucks. Right. So I'm like, well, hell I'm just going to upgrade my DVDs. It had all the features and everything. So I do have it. Thankfully on Blu-ray. We started to rewatch the missus and I, uh, a little while back, but we got sidetracked by, I think Ted Lasso coming back. So, yeah, man, that's such a good show. I, I watch it like I rewatch it like once every few years. It's such a great show. Yeah, good times. All right, folks, still waiting on that mu- that movie though. We got our seven seasons. We didn't get the movie though. That's right, six seasons in a movie. Six seasons. Well, listen to me. What fan am I? Am I said seven seasons? <laughs> Jesus Christ. See, my brain's going. It All is. right, folks. Let's. It's sad, really. Let's keep rolling and spend a few minutes talking about Joe Quinn Phoenix. That's right. That's what I call them for about the first three years. Before I realized it was pronounced Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix in Come On, Come On. So should I call you like Papa or Dad or just Johnny? You can call me whatever feels comfortable to you. I, I, I don't know. It's just I'm not used to being able to choose. Maybe we can just take this process slowly and, and, and see, see how it feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just really sorry that your children died. Um, you know, I don't think I can do that part. Yeah, I I told you that's how me and mom do it. If it makes sense for your mom to do that, that's cool, but it doesn't make sense for me, and that's what I was explaining to you. Why doesn't it make sense for you? Because it's ridiculous. Is it? It's sad. The question is, why do you want to do it? You are just terrible at this oh man i'm trying let me ask you a question why does everything have to be like this kind of weird eccentric thing that you do i know but why not just do something normal like everything in your real life what's normal okay fine good point so joaquin phoenix stars matt as johnny uncle johnny he's a radio journalist he's traveling the country with a couple of his production partners they're interviewing kids and ask some questions basically like, well, what do you think the world's going to be like in the future? And he gets a phone call from his sister, played by Gabby Hoffman, who I just, I've always liked. And I've she clearly chooses her projects carefully. She pops up in one film maybe every year to two years and does some great work and then goes back to whatever she does. She plays a sister. Her estranged husband uh, is suffering from mental illness. So she has to go take care of him. And she needs somebody to watch her son, Jesse. And that's where Joaquin Phoenix comes in. 
and he basically takes him on his life as they go to do his interviews and takes care of him for a while. And it's Matt, one of these little slice of life films, kind of like last week when we had a licorice pizza, a film that I think you and I are both tragically underwhelmed by. And this time there's a different slice of life film as we experience Johnny and Jesse as they grow and bond together as they get to know each other. Because uh, I should say, too, Johnny and Gabby Hoffman's character Viv are estranged as well due to some earlier family uh, strife. So, Matt, what did you think of Come On, Come On? Did it Was it like a really fascinating, interesting kind of, as we said, slice of life moment in these characters' lives that mm-hmm. was just riveting stuff? Or were you kind of, I don't know, Matt, was it a little boring, a little pretentious being all black and white and everything too? <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it can be both, right, I guess? I mean, I think there's parts of this that are really effective. I mean, I think I appreciate how you really have to be kind of paying attention because they'll drop little pieces of important information um, mm. that, are, that gives you insight into these characters and kind of what they're going through and why they are the way they are just through kind of dialogue that if you're not listening to, you can miss. And I thought it was a really realistic and interesting way to kind of address some of that stuff. I thought the relationship were this between um, Jesse and, and uh, you know, his uncle were very realistic. And, you know, obviously the, the main, the sister and, and the brother there were also, you know, um, I'm drawing blanks on everybody's name right now for some reason. Um, I thought it was also very effective. I think, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just getting old and maybe because I'm becoming more and more dead inside that like something like if I had seen this 20 years ago, I would have absolutely adored this and it probably would have blown my mind about how effective it was and how emotionally real it is. But I feel like we've seen this and I feel like as good as it is, for me, it's not like something that's like, man, that is profound. It's more like, you know, that was that was good. I appreciated it, and I see what they were going for. Let's move on to the next one. That's interesting. I feel I was going to ask you about that as the only one of us that actually has reared a child, mm. right? Still rearing, as the case may be. Fair. Um, yeah. That I was wondering if this film was going to have a bigger impact on you, but clearly, I guess it, it hasn't. Now, do I? How do I take that? Does it? Does you, you just don't have a good relationship with your kid, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> no, no. Just... I mean, the, my kid and Jesse in the film are about the same age, and hmm. some of the stuff is incredibly accurate, like especially with the, the kind of things that they're getting into and the things that they like to see and the things that they find interesting and just like the stuff that they're talking about like you want to sit there and pretend like you're into it and like that you're being supportive at the same time it's like a i don't know what the hell you're talking about or b this is really weird and i don't want to do this kind of thing but you're doing it anyway because you have to um so i mean a lot of that strikes me as really real and i think that the the actor who played Jesse struck me as a very real to life nine year old with a dusting of obviously kind of various family traumas on top of that. I appreciated the relationship between the two. I think that was obviously the strongest part, which is really the central focus of the film. Yeah. I think that the film, why it works as well as it does is that it tackles some kind of really hard family matters there are the family so johnny and viv had some issues with their mother 
who um, was suffered from and then eventually died due to, and she had dementia. And that caused a little some strife in the family, given that, you know, kids have different relationships with their parents. And then you then have to deal with uh, Jesse's father, Paul, played by Scoot McNary, and his suffering from mental illness. And imagine being a kid in that scenario, you know, when your father is just not well. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that must be like. So I think the film feels to me extremely human mm-hmm. and extreme there. It's very authentic. And I think the use of black and white helps that because, you know, when you watch a movie in black and white, a lot of times it provides this almost kind of documentary feel. It adds a layer of authenticity, I think to uh, what you're watching. And at, as a storytelling device, I think it really works. And, the whole film for me, and I was going to play this clip, but it's actually in the conclusion of the movie, so I didn't want to do that. I wanted you to actually experience the film and have that moment like I did. When they have the conversation about remembering their time together between you know uh, Woody and Johnny, I thought it was very sweet and very moving. And I think that the film's palette can really help evoke those emotional responses. So like you see something like, This is going to sound weird, but bear with me. Uh, Suspiria, like Argento's use of color. And I was trying to evoke these kind of emotions from you by having these stark, vibrant colors. And it's the exact opposite works here as well. The black and white allows us to, I think, to focus more on our actors, just like in Macbeth. Uh, and really, it also gives the film kind of its almost a dreamlike presence, like you're actually telling the story from a uh, a future point and relaying things to us. To us, so uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed the fact. I think it was a smart decision to shoot in black and white. Well, actually, I don't know. I I felt like it was shot in color and maybe desaturized, or the color mm-hmm. was taken out. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't find anything online about that either way. But when I'm comparing slice of life films, right, like what we had with last week's licorice pizza and now what we have with this week, I think there's a a much more successful experience. And I don't know. I think it was very sweet, very sad, heartwarming, and more. I really I enjoyed this as well, Matt. This is where the credits rolled, where they showed more of the interviews. Yeah. And I couldn't find this anywhere, too. So if anybody knows, shoot us an email. Is, did they just kind of like glom on to an existing documentary project where they're doing the radio interviews? Yeah, if, I, I don't know. I don't know what the purpose of all it's that It's a real was. thing? Yeah, I have no idea. I really don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I think yeah. I agree with you. I think this is more successful than Licorice Pizza. Like, you know what I, I couldn't get out of my mind while I'm watching this was Boyhood. Um, it seemed yeah. like to be of the cut from the same cloth. And... I, I think it's an effective film. I don't. I think I wanted to like it more than I did. I think I wanted to have more of an emotional connection to it than I did. I mean, it definitely kind of gave you like a warm sense to it, but I didn't immediately connect with it. I don't know why that is. Maybe, like I said, I'm dead inside. But I did enjoy it. I don't want people to think I didn't enjoy it. And I think it's obviously a, a well-acted, well-put-together film that's worth your time. Yeah, I... Yes, and I also, too, just want to spend a minute, too, and talk about Joaquin Phoenix. I really think, Matt, I struggle with coming up with a better actor today than Phoenix. Right. When I see his over, his work, let's take the Joker out of it. 
All right, because okay. I don't. I like to pretend that film doesn't exist. Right. But I still think it maybe hit my favorite film, my favorite performance of his. I don't know if favorite's the right term, but like he is so incredible in the master. Yeah. P.T. Anderson's film, he blows me away in that thing. I liked him a lot in Inherent Vice. And if you want to see a broken man, you know, you you, you were never really here. Yeah. That film he did with Lynn Ramsey is that is a visceral, unsettling experience. Uh, but also a little film too that I don't think a lot of people saw the Sisters Brothers with John C. Riley that he did. Uh, when did that come out? 2018. Yeah. I love that film. It yeah, is you've talked, so good. You've talked really highly of it. I've been meaning to catch up with it, especially for my affection of Westerns, but I, I just haven't done it yet again. Yeah. I haven't seen it. So I don't know. Just another great performance by Phoenix. And I love the guy's range. To be able to do The Master and to do, you know, uh, Sisters and Brothers, to do all these films. I'm like, well, I, I always listen, listen to him. He's an actor, Chris. Of course, that's what he does. But uh, still, great stuff. Matt, I gave Come On, Come On a B plus. Yeah, I'm going to give it a B plus too as well. I think it's a pretty solid uh, coming of age film that will kind of come and go through award season and will be uh, something that kind of flies under the radar for the rest of its filmic life. I think that's probably accurate. Yeah. Do you think? I guess I think there's some nomination options. I think Joaquin's got a shot, and yeah, I think Woody Norman's got a shot too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I'm kind of curious to see what comes out with uh, nomination period. I know they've already started, and I haven't really been paying much attention. But yeah, um, me neither. I'd be curious to see what kind of comes out in a kind of morbid curiosity kind of way. Yeah. So. Come on, come on! Is still playing in some theaters at this point. I believe it has a digital release that is pending. I don't know what streaming service it's going to end up on quite yet, folks. I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. It is an A24 film, and I think Apple TV is has like a exclusive distribution deal with them. Yeah, but I'm not sure. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, Matt. Let's go ahead and close out the big show. Let's talk about our five favorite passion projects from directors actors whatever but here's a clip from one of maddie's favorites oh come on sir <laughs> you gotta let me in on it i barely make any lousy credits in this job and i've got five wives to support uh. sir i don't know if i want to partner up with an idiot how do i even know that you understand the plan We train man animals who don't need breath gas to mine the gold for us. The home planet owns this planet. The gold belongs to them. That's the beauty of it. Home planet doesn't even know the gold exists. So those corporate crapheads won't even know we stole it. It's the perfect crime, sir. Putting aside the serious violations of teaching mining to an inferior race and insulting corporate superiors, each one in itself punishable by death, so it is my duty to report you even though you'll be vaporized and I will have to train a new assistant. But it's your stinking plan, sir. That's right. That's why I'm glad I have a picked up recording of you laying out the plan and my reprimanding you for it. Think of it as part of your education. Ah, uh, that is over one full minute of Battlefield Earth. <laughs> I saw that in the theaters, Matt. Did you? Wow, I did. that's crazy. And... That is a horrible, horrible film. John Travolta's Passion Project, the film he always wanted to bring to the screen, 
L. Ron Hubbard's Battlefield Earth thing just is just it's bad. It's super bad. Not in a good yeah. way. Like Huey Lewis once said, sometimes bad is bad, man. Mm. <laughs> I had Forrest Whitaker on it too, man. Is he a Scientologist? I don't know if he is. Mm. Barry Pepper? Good old Barry Pepper. You know, as a guy who should just make westerns for the rest of his life, it's Barry Pepper. Yeah. You, he gets all dirty and dusty. He's got the hat and that mu- handlebar mustache thing going. Barry Pepper yeah. is like made for westerns. <laughs> westerns and war films. That's it. That's it. Good times. Oh, God. So clearly didn't make the cut, Matt, for me. Shocking. Battlefield Earth. <laughs> this is my honorary Citizen Kane passion projects list. Okay. Because I think it would just inevitably be my number one, anybody's number one, if they had any credibility, Matt. Any credibility. <laughs> Sorry about that there, folks. All right, Matt. So go ahead and start us off. What is your fifth favorite passion project film? All right, so my fifth favorite Patrick project film, um, which I didn't realize until I was started doing some research for this list, um, is actually uh, Christopher Nolan's Inception. I didn't realize that he was he meant it as his follow up to Memento, mm-hmm. um, but obviously he wasn't a big enough name to be able to pull in the kind of money that he needed to make this. So he sat on this and fought for this for ten years, trying to get it made, and he finally did. And I. I and there are parts of this film that are kind of ridiculous. I don't know if it completely works um, on all levels, but man, it has some of the best action sequences I've ever seen, especially that, that hallway fight with Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. is just absolutely fantastic. Even with its flaws, I think Inception is a, is a solid passion project that came out on the right end of history. Absolutely. And we have forever, we'll be able to enjoy the <laughs> soundtracks of Hans Zimmer. In, in perpetuity. Indeed. All right. So my number five is probably the worst film on my list. I'll tell you right now, it's not a good movie. Okay. All right. But I enjoy it. Okay. I love it. I have a lot of fun watching it. And that, of course, is Bruce Willis and Hudson Hawk. Where Willis plays <laughs> a... Uh, what is he? He's a, he's, a, he's a thief. He's a cat burglar. Cat burglar. Yeah. In from Hoboken, New Jersey, and he Who gets loves roped cappuccinos. In, that's right, and he gets <laughs> roped into a plot to steal the Mona Lisa, amongst other uh, Da Vinci artworks, for some nefarious plot. There's rich billionaire, millionaire, bad people. There's the CIA, lots of people involved, and good old Bruno is stuck in the middle. One of my favorite little tidbits too, but Hudson Hawk is he doesn't use a watch, Matt, the time things. No, 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 no. Mm. Him and his partner, Danny Aiello, they sing songs. <laughs> so they have to match up. All right, it's going to take us two minutes and 53 seconds to get from here to here to steal this thing. What song? They go, all right, uh, Swing on a Star. That movie, that song is that long. We're going to sing that. And that's how they start their uh, little thieving escapades. Matt, I didn't say it was good. Don't shake your head at me. I didn't say it was good. <laughs> and I have not watched it in probably 20 plus years. But I was at one point a massive Bruce Willis fan. And I loved Hudson Hawk when it came out growing up. I was probably my early teens when that came up, maybe 13. Which clearly Hudson Hawk is right in your wheelhouse uh, at that point, especially if you're a Bruce Willis fan. Sure. So that's my number five, folks. The Hawk. Hudson Hawk, if you will. Man, I can tell, guys, I can tell you I had a very different experience of that. I mean, Chris and I are in pretty close age and i 
remember watching that film. I think I rented it. And my reaction was, what the hell was that? It is just, it was, I was baffled by how much I did not like that film. But more power to you, Chris. I'm going to use the lazy fans critique, basically. You just don't like fun, Matt. Movies are fun. You know, another movie, Matt, I bought on Blu-ray two years ago. Still wrapped in the cellophane. Yep. All right. Yeah, I mean, that's very true, Chris. I mean, of the two of us, I'm certainly not the one that likes fun, populist movies. I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Your nickname of Mainstream Matt is certainly, uh, that's fair. Well, especially right. if things go on my list. Yes, go yeah. ahead, continue. All right, so speaking of mainstream fun projects, um, I know Chris likes this one too. It's not necessarily either one is the best representation of either of these filmmakers' works. But I appreciate it for its dedication to an aesthetic, and it's a passion project of something that they wanted to bring as an experience to the audience, and I was all on board for it. And of course, I'm talking about Robert Rodriguez's and Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse, um, mm-hmm. where Robert Rodriguez has his planet, his zombie um, schlock film with Planet Terror, and Tarantino brought the kind of revenge. Uh, film uh death proof which i actually really enjoy i i don't get the hate that it gets from tarantino fans i really like it um but really kind of the really thing that kind of puts it all together is their dedication to you know skip frames and like the 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 kind of um flaws in the print and then of course the sublime sublime trailers that are brought in by their friends um such as edgar wright and rob zombie and eli roth and you know everything about it is just fantastic i absolutely adore grindhouse it loses something in its home viewing um because you just can't get that kind of movie theater experience but it is a fantastic experience that i'm glad it got made yeah no um, i'm not familiar with that film okay (laughs) my number four then is i'm gonna go with the movie that the movie, I'm stressing, that started okay. it all. Without this film and its gigantic success, people never would have believed that you could make a feature-length animated film. And I'm talking about Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm-hmm. Before that, cartoons basically were six, seven minutes long. They ran in front of movies in the theaters, and that's basically how you watched them. And Disney was convinced if we can get a property that had a kind of already built-in mass appeal that we could develop a story, expand stuff, and make a feature-length film. Investors scoffed at him. He took all of his money, and he put all the chips on the line, Matt, and ended up being Snow White, the biggest box office hit of that year when it came out. And it solidified Walt Disney Studios, and we now have the behemoth, for better or worse, that we have today. But that's my number four is Disney's, and I say I'm talking singularly the person, Walt Disney's obsession and need to make Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, it's very, very uh, good pick. It didn't make my list, but it is it is fantastic. That has a per- certainly fit for this list. All right, so my number three is a film that um, is not very popular. It's a bit of a slog. It's a long film, but it's absolutely gorgeous and 
It's a fantastic Western. It's um, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert mm. Ford. Um, it was a passion project of Brad Pitt's to get this made as a producer. Um, he fought for years to try and get it out there, and he wanted to try and bring it forth as true to the director and his vision as absolutely possible. And unfortunately, we didn't quite get there, but I think what we did get is gorgeous. Um, it, is a, it is a meditative examination of kind of the Western. It is, I think one of the finest modern Westerns that there are out there. And I know I've said it twice already, but I'm going to say it again. It is an absolutely gorgeous film. And um, Mm. I think, uh, I think a lot of people give it, you know, flack for its deliberate pace and its length, which I guess is a fair criticism, but I would urge you to give it a chance. Yeah, no, it is fantastic. I rather enjoy that film. I haven't watched it since it came out. I've been meaning to catch up with it, but yeah, and I would say too, like if you if you enjoyed stuff like The Power of the Dog this year too, which is fantastic, um, I think you may enjoy something in this similar vein, Matt. My number three film is the only film on my list that doesn't exist. Okay, it actually has not been made yet, All right. but there are rumblings. So during the one of the latest episodes of the King Cast, our fine folks over at that show interviewed one Guillermo del Toro. And he still wants to make my number three at the Mountains of Madness, the adaptation of the Lovecraft property. Now he says at this point he would do, it's been 20 years he's trying to do this film. He could never be able to secure the financing. But he's open to it again, but he would have to rewrite it. And he thinks it'd be more of a prestige show, an HBO, Max, uh, Netflix type thing. Sure. And we just have to find the studio willing to put up the money and kind of just let del Toro go crazy with it. And I think we may be there. Yeah. I think we, the time is right for this to happen. Now there's so many streaming services, just desperate for content and del Toro is ready to go. He just needs to do some rewrites and to update some stuff. And he wants to do it. And I think he should be allowed to do it. Throw the money out. If we can make Zack Snyder's justice league, we can get Guillermo del Toro's at the Mountains of Madness, so yeah. that's going to be my number three. I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, what do you call it, Matt? I'm trying to wish it into existence. It's yeah, the, you're trying to will it to existence. You're visualizing exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Go. So that's my three. Yeah, I really hope that gets made. I love his, I love his comment that I heard about that saying, you know, we can make it a show, and we would have to kind of scale back some of the effects and the visuals, but we can make it a lot more weird, which given who it's coming from makes mm. it even more exciting. <laughs> yeah, I really hope it happens. Me too. All right, so my number two is a notorious film that was so difficult to make, but it ended up being one of the greatest films of all time. I'm seeing that it could be on Chris's list somewhere, number two or one maybe. The star had a heart attack. One of the biggest names in it refused to take any direction at all. And they just filmed him rambling in a, uh, in a sweltering jungle. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. He was incredibly committed to getting this thing made that it almost drove him insane. And no matter what you think about Francis Ford Coppola's later work, it is an absolute masterpiece right up there with the Godfather and the Godfather two. And honestly, it's a film where the documentary about the making of the film hearts of darkness is almost as good as watching the film itself. So here's, what's crazy. I had that reaction because the way you started to describe things, but that's actually not the oh, film okay. I was thinking of. Okay. And Apocalypse Now is basic. Well, let's be honest. It really should be on my list. It's not. 
Okay. And I should swipe out Hudson Hawk for it. And I, I there's a weird thing is like I like Apocalypse Now. I've watched the original version, the Redux, and then the I don't know what the final version's called. Mm-hmm. And they're fantastic films, but I don't have a big rewatch factor with them. I know I yeah. just need to I need to check them out again. It probably should be on my list. We all know I'm a hack, so that's fine. I'm not going to worry about it too much. Because my number two was one of the most fun times I had in the theater. And just like Matt said, I'm shocked that this film was even made. And that is Tarantino Rodriguez's Grindhouse. The fact that they put that thing together and the art and craft involved in getting that thing on the screen to honor what it was attempting to do with these exploitation kind of grindhouse film feel and for it to work as well as it does just blows my mind. It is great. And I think you're right. The home video experience is it's muted. You, it's not as good as watching it in the theater. I recently watched, um, planet terror individually about three months ago. I had it cause I never bought it on Blu-ray. I had the Grindhouse on Blu-ray, and then I had Planet Terror and uh, um, Death... What's it called? Death, Death Proof. Death Proof, thank you, uh, on DVD. And then the local store here had them both for like five, six bucks on Blu-ray. So I bought the individuals finally. Mm-hmm. And But I, it's good. I, what's funny is I think Death Proof, I think as a whole, is better in its full form. Yeah. I think Planet Terror is better as part of Grindhouse. Right. And okay. the trailers, though, and I'm kicking myself now for the our stinger this week is not a trailer from Grindhouse, unfortunately. <laughs> but those trailers are just a, a thing of wonder. And one of them eventually turned into a film, right? They made Hobo with a Shotgun, which I think eventually was just part of only available, in, I think, in the can- Canadian release. I think yeah, Hobo yeah. with a Shotgun. That's right. Well, they made Machete, too. That's true. They did make Machete. I forgot all about Machete. Dang. They made two films out of that. They machete. made two machetes out of that, yeah. That's true. But yeah, Grindhouse, I still is a blast. If I were to ever rent out a theater, I probably, one of the things I'd want to show probably is Grindhouse. In fact, if we ever do First Run Fest down here yeah. in Tampa, um, yeah. we may have to do Grindhouse as part of that. Yeah. I, I have an opening. Be... There's an opening to do it. Oh. Because the guy who runs the local art house theater is open to it, maybe in okay. September. That's his slow time. Okay. He would be open to it. So okay. I don't know how... Who owns Grindhouse now, though? If it's, That's that a was good a question. That was Miramax a Miramax film, film yeah. right? Well, Miramax still exists, correct? Yeah, they they're still not owned exist, by Weinstein just without the wine so maybe, yeah. Huh. We may have to look into that then. Yeah. All right, I good think times. That would be totally worth it. I'd be down for that. In fact, right, I insist. Time. I insist. All right, so my number one um, is... A film by one of the most popular and best directors of all time. Um, he was a producer on this film for a very long time. He tried to pass it along to many other great directors. Martin Scorsese, Roman Polanski, regardless of what you think of him, is a is a uh, you know is a Holocaust survivor, believe it or not, or at least was tangentially connected to it. And I'm talking about Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. Um, yeah. It's a film we've talked about a lot on this show as one of those films that you have to see we wouldn't blame you if you watched it once and never watched it again because it is a, a tough sit, but Spielberg of jaws and ET and Raiders of the lost Ark had this reputation where, you know, he was a great filmmaker and making popular entertainment, but he didn't have the capability to produce uh, you know, a serious film. And 
this film came out and just kind of blew everything away of just what he was capable of producing. And it is a masterful film, you know, shot in black and white with that one incredibly effective splash of color. Um, the performances are fantastic. And it's, 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 I, it's a passion project that I, you know, I can't say I'm, I, it had to have been made. I'm glad it was by him. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is a, it is a classic. I think that's true. And it's, it is an honorable mention for me. I think it came up the other, oh, Spielberg. We are talking about Spielberg scenes or moments mm-hmm. or whatever it was a couple weeks ago. So yeah, now my number one then, Matt, I'm going to see your Apocalypse Now and okay. I'm going to raise you Werner Herzog's Fitzcarraldo. Okay. Where you want to talk about madness, heart attacks. <laughs> I got an actor who pointed a gun at the rector and threatened to shoot him. <laughs> and then the locals that Herzog had hired to work in the film had offered to kill Klaus Kinski for Herzog if they want, <laughs> if he wanted, which he politely declined. <laughs> Just the whole film is madness. If you're not familiar with Fitzcarraldo, it's Herzog's telling of basically how they arranged for a transport ship to be hauled over a mountain from one river to another. So what does Herzog do? He does it. He has a ship built and they drag it over a mountain <laughs> from one river to another. It's insane if you've never seen Fitzcarraldo, especially knowing all the backstories. Now, here's the thing. There are some bad things about this film. I mean, really dark, dark shit. In fact, that some of the indigenous extras in the film died while wow. the thing was being made. Wow. And lots of injuries as well. And Herzog was accused, basically, of exploiting the indigenous people for the making of this film. And given Herzog, I, I maybe wouldn't be terribly surprised if that was right. true. Right. And then you have to throw in Kinski, who is a madman, like certifiably should be locked up. <laughs> or should have been. He's dead now, right? Crazy story about the making of that film. The great documentary, what is it, My Best Fiend, about their relationship as well. Just insane stuff. But for me, you talk about passion projects. To literally drag a boat over a mountain is insane to me. And Herzog's yeah. dedication. I don't know how many people almost died in the making. Some people did. It's a crazy experience. So Fritz Caraldo is my number one. Any honorable mentions for you? Oh, have you seen Fritz Caraldo? Uh, I haven't. No, I, I have not seen it now. Crazy stuff. That is it. I don't have to Insane. check it out. Um, so I put uh, Dune on here, Villanueva's Webb's Dune. Obviously, yep. uh, he had to do a lot to get that made in the way he wanted to. Um, Aronofsky's The Fountain, which I yes. own. It is a whacked out crazy film, which shocking from the you know the creator of Mother, but uh, it is a it is an experience for sure. Um, Rocky. Uh, the original mm-hmm. and um, a bit of a cheat, but this is immediately what I think of about pet projects uh, besides, you know, uh, man of La Mancha would be AI. Um, Kubrick tried for years to get that made. He didn't end up making, he died before it happened, but Spielberg ended up trying to get his vision to screen less than successfully, but it is the ultimate Patrick project. Yeah. I, I would say one of the big ones too. I haven't seen it. Unfortunately, Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote. Yeah. Uh, the first attempt to film it ended up in disaster. The yeah. second time, they actually did. They, they did eventually get made. I have not seen it. Um, some of the stuff to you I uh, hadn't mentioned. Uh, Gus Van Sant's Milk, his mm-hmm. uh, biography of Harvey Milk, is a good one. I like 
Aronofsky's The Fountain. I remember when we did it for the show. I don't know. I don't know if you did. You do the I, Fountain episode? That may have been uh, a Dave. That was so long ago. I don't remember. I kind of want to say that I did, um, but I'm not sure. You may have. I remember thinking that film was gorgeous, but yeah, very dense. Uh, Scorsese again. I would say a few films. Not only Gangs of New York, Last Temptation of Christ, and then Silence. All great stuff. Um, you talked about Inception. What about Blum? Neil Blomkamp's Alien 3. I go back and forth, and that's a film, again, that hasn't been made. I got a few that haven't been made that I wish I could see. Yeah. Because Blomkamp's films have not been good since District no. 9, unfortunately. No. So part of me would be curious to see what he would do with that Alien 3. Part of me thinks, just leave things well enough alone, Chris. Don't get that, don't get that mugwai wet. <laughs> and then uh, speaking of... Coppola, he tried to do Napoleon. Did that he? was another film that he tried to make. And it just got, the cost overruns were insane. So eventually they just shut it down. But I remember in my house growing up, my dad had a poster of Francis Ford Coppola's Napoleon, like a movie oh, poster really? of it that he had. Yeah. Uh, it's another film that just never got made. And then finally, Quentin Tarantino's Killer Crow. Well, if you're not familiar, Mm -hmm. there's a subplot from Inglorious Bastards that was cut, that was toyed about at one point about making a feature film out of, which is a platoon of all black soldiers who sought revenge on their white officers who wronged them in World War II. Interesting. And uh, there's a part of me that would really think that would be interesting to see. Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Yeah. um, Was another one. And I think that's about what I got. Yep, that's my list. I was when I was when I was younger when I was super into seeing Tarantino coming up. I was always curious to see, hoping that he would get made his uh, his Vega Brothers movie with Vincent and Vic from from uh, Michael Madsen and, and uh, uh, John Travolta. I always thought that would have yeah. been a good one, but they aged out unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. And I too, I would still love to see his. I don't know. Part of me thinks it would be a disaster, but part of me thinks it would be really interesting. Would be his '60s set black and white James Bond film. Mm, yeah, but uh, who knows? What are your favorite passion projects? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun dot com. Matt, coming up next week. I don't think we even know. Scream for sure. Is it Scream? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's the big release. You'd think I'd remember that because I watched the first one. I've been trying to work my way through them all. Yeah. Ahead of time. I don't know if I'm going to be able to cut through three more Scream films. By, uh, I think I'm going Monday, so maybe I can. Yeah. But I watched the first one. It still holds up. It's actually yeah. really good. It holds up well. Scream 2, I'm about a third of the way through, and I can't think of a more 90s film <laughs> than Scream 2. Everything I'm watching in that thing is so many references well, to my exact time. I would say the more 90s films would be all of the copycats that came out after Scream. So, like... I know what you did last summer and things like that. Fair. No, that's a fair point. But I love that soundtrack too. I really remember really liking Scream 2. So we'll see if that holds up as I go through it. I'll check in if I get through them all when we talk about Scream next week. Sounds good. Uh, I guess second film is TBD at this point. So uh, we'll figure that out. In the meantime, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I'll help other people find the show. And that's another episode in the books, folks. Everybody go ahead and take care of yourselves. We love you very much. Get vaccinated, get boosted, and we'll see you soon.
name? Buongiorno. Yeah, buongiorno. I'm being blackmailed into robbing the Vatican by a psychotic American corporation and the CIA. I don't, uh... <laughs> it's okay, Colonel. Just keep an eye on all the art. <laughs>